Today is July 16th. This is Verses in Flow. I'm Jennifer, and I'm so glad you're here. So grateful you decided to come along and ride on this fantastic voyage with me. And as we set sail on today's voyage, know that since it's Sunday, Sundays are special. It's the beginning of the week, and so there's a freshness to it. The slate has been wiped clean. We've got a fresh canvas in front of us. There's a blank page before us. We can start a new thing this week, or we can also use Sundays, as this is the day that many of us go to church, as a gentle reminder to reconnect with our faith, to get re-centered, re-anchored, grounded with the deeper parts of ourselves that the busyness of the other days often cause us to neglect. What if we made a conscious choice to approach Sundays differently? What if we saw Sundays as a day to reset, to remember who we are at our core, our spirit-led selves, the part of us that being made in the image of God is unshakable, it's indestructible, it is secured because it is reflective of God's power, His love, and His knowing. I recently started exploring a powerful tool called the IFS model, and I have to thank my friend Tish Granville, who is a therapist and who just recently launched her own practice called Thresholds Counseling and Consulting. Yay, Tish! But she introduced me to the IFS model, and it has been so useful in helping me navigate the more difficult parts of my being. And it is perhaps the most useful faith-centered framework I've discovered. The IFS model basically says that our soul, that is the non-physical parts of ourselves, is composed of different parts, each with its own feelings, thoughts, and intentions. Some parts are positive and helpful, some parts are negative and troublesome, and some parts are protective and defensive. Now, the goal of the IFS model is to help us create boundaries for our soul, which means to organize our parts and align them with our spirit-led self and God. The IFS model essentially expands our understanding of our multifaceted self. Our experiences shape us, right? But often we try to banish the messy, complicated parts of ourselves into the outskirts of our consciousness because they feel like a burden. They're heavy, they're obstructive. That is until they become too large to ignore, but sometimes even then, we still try to repress them only to end up being driven subconsciously by these fragments that we are trying to overlook or these fragmented parts that we're trying to ignore. These fragments might arise from fear, shame, or the belief that they are too entangled, too chaotic for God to want to engage with them. Or we derive shame from them because we feel like they are unacceptable. But what if we decided to flip the script on that? What if we invited God into our whole lives, into every part of ourselves, including the messy layers that create the mosaic of our experiences? What if we dared to sit with God and simply be, simply just be who we are? 
and acknowledge these fragments, these these messy parts, these parts that we are embarrassed by or ashamed of, rather than dismissing them out of hand. And then what if in the sacred silence of meditation and introspection, what if we heard the reassuring whisper of God saying, I'm here right in the midst of your mess, your fear, your shame, your anxiety, your frustration, your disappointment, your whole intricately detailed, beautiful self. Let's welcome and heal these parts together. How would that feel? Probably amazing, right? Well, I believe that's exactly what God says to us according to Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Or Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. First Peter 5, seven, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So why am I sharing all of this with you? I think that it's helpful to have a framework for navigating the more difficult parts of life. Psychology often leaves out the spirit and the soul, and some disciplines of theology often leave out the body. But the truth is, All of these parts are integrated, the mind, the body, and the soul. And so when I find a perspective or a framework that integrates all of these parts, I find it really useful in helping me to process or work through my issues, specifically when there is one that incorporates my faith as well, as of course, you know, my faith is a a core value. And because you're here, I assume that it is a core value for you too. So that's why I am sharing this with you. I hope that that is helpful. So now let's just take a deep breath and let's allow the warmth of God's wisdom to wash over us as we get into these sacred texts. Remember, we are on a journey of transformation. We are on a trek from chrysalis or cocoon to butterfly and every step we take including confronting our fears and the shadows within us, brings us that much closer to spreading our wings. Let's flow into this word, First Chronicles chapters 22 and 23. God's Word Translation Then David said, This is where the Lord God's temple will be. Israel's altar for burnt offerings will also be here. David helped Solomon prepare to build the temple. David ordered the foreigners living in Israel to gather. He appointed some of them to cut stones to build God's temple. David prepared a large quantity of iron for nails and fittings on the doors of the gates. He also prepared so much bronze that it couldn't be weighed. The men of Sidon and Tyre brought David so many cedar logs that the logs couldn't be counted. David thought, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the temple that will be built for the Lord must be magnificent, large, famous, praised, and honored in all other countries. I'll prepare the building materials for him. 
So David prepared many materials for Solomon before he died. He summoned his son Solomon and commanded him to build a temple for the Lord God of Israel. David told his son Solomon, I had my heart set on building a temple for the name of the Lord my God. But the Lord spoke his word to me by saying, You have caused a lot of bloodshed and fought in a lot of wars. You must not build a temple for my name because you have caused so much bloodshed in my presence. You will have a son who will be a peaceful man. I will give him peace from all the enemies around him. His name will be Solomon Peace, and in his time I will give Israel peace and quiet. He will build a temple for my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish the throne of his kingdom permanently over Israel. David continued, Now, son, the Lord will be with you. You will be successful, and you will build the temple of the Lord your God as he predicted you would. The Lord will give you insight and understanding as he commands you to take charge of Israel and to follow the teachings of the Lord your God. Then you will succeed if you will carefully obey the laws and decrees the Lord commanded Moses to give to Israel. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or terrified. Despite my troubles, I've made preparations for the Lord's temple. There are 7,500,000 pounds of gold, 75 million pounds of silver, and so much bronze and iron that it can't be weighed. I've also prepared wood and stones, and you may add to them. You have many kinds of workers, stone cutters, masons, carpenters, and men skilled in every kind of work. The gold, silver, bronze, and iron are more than can be counted. So get to work. May the Lord be with you. David ordered all the leaders of Israel to help his son Solomon. David said, Isn't the Lord your God with you? Hasn't he given you peace with all your neighbors? He put the people who live in this country under my power, and the country has been conquered by the Lord and his people. So dedicate your hearts and lives to serving the Lord your God. Start building the holy place of the Lord God so that you can bring the ark of the Lord's promise and God's holy utensils into the temple that will be built for the Lord's name. The Levites are organized to serve in the temple. When David had grown old and had lived out his years, he made his son Solomon king of Israel. He gathered all the officials of Israel and the priests and Levites. Every male Levite who was at least 30 years old was counted. There were 38,000. Of these, 24,000 were appointed to supervise the work on the Lord's temple, 6,000 were appointed to be officers and judges, 4,000 were appointed to be gatekeepers, and 4,000 were appointed to praise the Lord with the instruments David had made for praising God. David organized the Levites into divisions based on which of Levi's sons, Gershon, Kohath, or Merari, they were descended from. Ladon and Shimei were Gershon's descendants. Ladon had three sons. Jehiel was the first, then Zetham, and Joel. Shimei had three sons, Shelemith, Haziel, and Haran. They were the heads of Ladon's families. Shimei's sons were Jahath, Zena, Jeush, and Bariah. They were Shimei's four sons. Jahath was the first, and Ziza was the second. Jeush and Bariah didn't have many sons, so they were given an assignment as one family. Kohath had four sons, 
Amram, Ishar, Hebron, and Uziel. Amram's sons were Aaron and Moses. Aaron and his sons were forever designated to dedicate the most holy things to God, to offer sacrifices to the Lord, to serve Him, and always give the blessing in His name. The sons of Moses, the man of God, were counted with the tribe of Levi. Moses' sons were Gershom and Eliezer. Gershom's only son was Shebuel. Eliezer's only son was Rehabiah. Eliezer had no other sons, but Rehabiah had many sons. Ishar's only son was Shelemith. Hebron's first son was Jeriah. His second was Amariah. His third was Jehaziel. His fourth was Jechamiam. Uziel's first son was Micah. His second was Ishiah. Merari's sons were Mali and Mushi. Mali's sons were Eleazar and Kish. Eleazar died without having any sons. He only had daughters. Their cousins, the sons of Kish, married them. Mushi had three sons, Mali, Eder, and Jeremoth. These were Levi's descendants who were grouped according to their families. The heads of their families were registered by name as they were counted. Everyone who served in the Lord's temple was at least 20 years old. David had said, The Lord God of Israel has given his people rest. He will now live in Jerusalem forever. The Levites will no longer have to carry the tent and all the utensils used in worship. David's last instructions were to count the Levites who were at least 20 years old. They were appointed to stand beside Aaron's descendants to serve in the Lord's temple. They were appointed to be in charge of the courtyards and the temple rooms, to ensure that all the holy things were clean, and to serve in God's temple. They were also responsible for the rows of bread, the flour for the grain offerings, the unleavened bread wafers, and the bread made in frying pans. In addition, they were responsible for mixing the ingredients and keeping track of all weights and measures. They were appointed to stand to give thanks and praise to the Lord every morning. They were appointed to do the same thing in the evening. They were appointed to stand in front of the Lord in the required numbers whenever burnt offerings were made, on weekly days of rest, holy days, at new moon festivals, and on appointed annual festivals. They were appointed to follow the regulations for the tent of meeting and the holy place and to help their relatives, Aaron's descendants, as they served in the Lord's temple. Romans 3, verse 9 through 31. What then is the situation? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. We have already accused everyone, both Jews and Greeks, of being under the power of sin, as Scripture says. Not one person has God's approval. No one understands. No one searches for God. Everyone has turned away. Together they have become rotten to the core. No one does anything good, not even one person. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deception. Their lips hide the venom of poisonous snakes. Their mouths are full of curses and bitter resentment. They run quickly to murder people. There is ruin and suffering wherever they go. They have not learned to live in peace. They are not terrified of God. 
We know that whatever the scriptures say applies to everyone under their influence, and no one can say a thing. The whole world is brought under the judgment of God. Not one person can have God's approval by any effort to follow the laws in the scriptures. These laws show what sin is. God gives us his approval as a gift. Now, the way to receive God's approval has been made plain in a way other than the laws and the scriptures. Moses' teachings and the prophets tell us this, Everyone who believes has God's approval through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no difference between people. Because all people have sinned, they have fallen short of God's glory. They receive God's approval freely by an act of His kindness through the price Christ Jesus paid to set us free from sin. God showed that Christ is the throne of mercy where God's approval is given through faith in Christ's blood. In His patience, God waited to deal with sins committed in the past. He waited so that He could display His approval at the present time. This shows that He is a God of justice, a God who approves of people who believe in Jesus. So, do we have anything to brag about? Bragging has been eliminated. On what basis was it eliminated? On the basis of our own efforts? No, indeed. Rather, it is eliminated on the basis of faith. We conclude that a person has God's approval by faith, not by his own efforts. Is God only the God of the Jews? Isn't he also the God of people who are not Jewish? Certainly he is, since it is the same God who approves circumcised people by faith and uncircumcised people through this same faith. Are we abolishing the laws and the scriptures by this faith? That's unthinkable. Rather, we are supporting these laws. Psalm 12, for the choir director, on the Shemineth, a psalm by David. Help, O Lord, no godly person is left. Faithful people have vanished from among Adam's descendants. All people speak foolishly. They speak with flattering lips. They say one thing but mean another. May the Lord cut off every flattering lip and every bragging tongue that has said we will overcome with our tongues. With lips such as ours, who can be our master? Because oppressed people are robbed and needy people groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will provide safety for those who long for it. The promises of the Lord are pure, like silver refined in a furnace and purified seven times. O Lord, you will protect them. You will keep each one safe from those people forever. Wicked people parade around when immorality increases among Adam's descendants. Proverbs chapter 19 verses 13 and 14. A foolish son brings ruin to others. A foolish son ruins his father, and a quarreling woman is like constantly dripping water. Home and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a sensible wife comes from the Lord. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Creator of all things, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this day. We thank you that we have crossed the threshold of the midway point of this seventh month of the year. Lord, we are just so honored to be able to spend this sacred time with you. We invite the warmth of your love to surround us. Our hearts are open to your guidance and your wisdom. Help us to remember the strength that we have within us and that through you, we can face any challenge that comes our way this week or 
for the rest of this year. Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity to reflect on your words found in today's sacred passages. Teach us, Lord, the value of vulnerability with you, the power of having an open heart and the courage to embrace change. Lord, remind us that sometimes it is in our darkest moments within the depths of our shadows that we can find the most luminous sparks of your divine goodness and your endless grace. Lord, as we learn and grow and evolve, help us to remain grounded and aware of the incredible potential that you have placed within our spirits. Lord, let us become instruments that can be used by you for your glory and for our good. Lord, help us to always remember to first uplift your name and then uplift those around us to share our lessons and experiences and to allow you to shine through us on every step of our journeys. Lord, as we part, we just ask that you would guide and protect us throughout this week. And Lord, as we are enthused and fired up with the knowledge that we are never alone and always held in the palm of your hand, let us go boldly into whatever it is that lies before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And our affirmation for today. I trust God to guide me and heal me as I explore the depths of my soul and discover all that lies within. I trust God to guide me and heal me as I explore the depths of my soul and discover all that lies within. And our aphorism, a weak mind is like a microscope which magnifies trifling things but cannot receive great ones. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for being on this amazing adventure with me. You belong here and we belong together on this journey. I love you. And if God says the same, I'll be right here tomorrow waiting for you.